Welcome to another edition of Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. We're so glad you chose to listen with us today, and we pray your life will be blessed through the following message. We like to control what's going on, but there are circumstances in our lives we have no control over. There's nothing that we can do about them. And if we let those circumstances have their way, they will become a Goliath in our life, and they will torment us and take advantage of us. Jesus said it this way, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, he said that mountain would get up and get into the sea. You know, I don't, I don't know what you face. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how many times you've failed. I don't know, I don't know how many times that you, you've tripped up. It doesn't really make any difference. God said, I chose you. Have you ever been so tired you just didn't feel like doing another thing? Then all of a sudden you get some renewed energy, more stamina, and now you have the power to keep going. We refer to this phenomenon as a second wind. So that's exactly what God does for us when we start to get tired while following Him. He sends us a second wind. That's the focus of today's message from Pastor Eddie Mason. I was at the store the other night, and this lady was calling for her, for her son to come help her. Uh, she owned the store, and he had, those, he had the whole deal. He didn't just have the uh, earbuds. He had the whole uh, earphones. And she's hollering, and he can't hear a word. He's just steady sweeping. Now, he is working, but he, he couldn't hear a word. Man, it just plows into us. Everywhere we turn, we have radios, we have telephones, we have televisions, we have, you name it, we've got it. And we're constantly listening something, letting something enter our, enter our ears. And you know, it says faith comes by hearing. Can I also tell you doubt comes the same exact way? Doubt and fear come exactly the same way. They come through hearing. And so what we want to do is we want to retrain our mind. And we train our mind by, by studying the Word of God and by trusting the Word of God. You know, I heard that thing, Herman's told it, and many, many others have told it, that when he was in the banking industry, the way they told him to, to look for the counterfeit was they taught him about the real. They showed him what was real. I never could understand it. All of a sudden it dawned on me one day. I thought, what in the world could looking at a dollar bill or a $20 bill, how could I understand the counterfeit just from looking at a $20 bill? And all of a sudden I began to realize it wasn't just the $20 bill that they were looking at, but they were looking for specific things on that $20 bill. And they became so obvious that when a counterfeit came up, it stood out from the rest of them. And that's the same thing about the Word of God. We need to be so studied in the Word of God that when the counterfeit comes that we have an understanding that this is from a false place, this is not of God, and we want to be trained to listen to what God says, not what other people say. I can remember back when, when, uh, when Y2K came. I know y'all not old enough to remember all that stuff, but <laughs> you know, the first thing I was told was all the computers are going to shut down. Uh, everything's going to shut down. All the, the, the financial institutions were going to be put in a crisis because all these computers, these binary computers were set up, but they weren't set up to go past the year 2000. I can remember going to a conference, and, and at the conference, that's all they talked about. And, man, they talked about buying buildings and storing supplies and, and getting ready for, the, for the, the coming onslaught that was about to take place because we're so technology-driven that we can't get uh, things going. And so we're listening to this thing. And I'm going to tell you, after 
about 12 hours of listening to what was going to happen when the, when the calendar turned to, to the year 2000, I was fearful. Now, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I got fearful. And, and so I, I'm riding down the road and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And, and just as sure as you're sitting here, the Holy Spirit said, are you afraid? I said, yes, sir, I am afraid. He said, that's probably not of me then, is it? I said, no, sir, because it's not that kind of fear. He said, did I tell you to be afraid? I said, no, sir. He said, what did I say? I said, over and over and over, you told me not to be afraid. He said, Eddie, I got this. Don't be afraid. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, there was a peace that came in the car. But had I not recognized the enemy, I would have reacted to fear rather than reacting in faith and not knowing what God was doing. And had God not spoken to me, and had I not known that, then I, I would have been overreacting to what people had told me. These are good, well-meaning, biblical people. These are people that serve the Lord with all their heart. I mean, one of them believed in it so much, they bought an entire old school and filled it full of bicycle parts because they were going to be the only place in town where you could go get bicycle parts, and bicycles were going to be the only means of transportation. Okay, so I'm just telling you how, how much they were into it. We want to train our minds to hear the truth. We want to train our minds to hear the Holy Spirit, and we want to learn to be obedient so that we act according to the Holy Spirit, not according to the things that are around us. Part of the training of a warrior is to not, is not to, re, to wait and think everything through. Part of the training of the warrior is when he hears his commander is to move when the commander says move. And so we need to understand that our commander is the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost says move, we need to go and we need to go fast. We don't need to worry about whether it's somebody or something else. We need to do what Jesus is telling us to do. So we must be trained. The other thing we understand is that we don't run away from the enemy. You see, when, you, when, you, when you're a warrior, you run to the battle. You don't run away from it. And Samuel, David said, it said, when the Philistine, talking about Goliath, arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And so he ran towards Goliath. He did not run away from Goliath. Now, what got me started on this was while I was sitting up here, the Lord brought to my mind Goliath and Samson, and I thought that was an unusual combination. But all of a sudden, I realized that both Goliath and Samson were warriors, they, they were both warriors. And as God began to, to show me the, some of the things, I, I began to understand. Goliath represents the obstacles in our lives. Anybody ever run into any obstacles in your life? Anybody, anybody ever been knocked down by an obstacle? Yeah, me too. Some of those obstacles are pretty tough. And so Goliath represents these obstacles. And these obstacles can taunt us or they can torment us. We can lay in bed at night. Anybody laid in bed at night and just worried about those things, just got anxious about what was going to happen, and you just couldn't get, couldn't get beyond it, and you thought it through, 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 and you played the what-if game. Anybody here played the what-if game? I'm asking you a lot of questions, but I want you to know that's the game of Goliath. That's challenging you in the place of your faith and saying that faith cannot sustain you. What if God doesn't come through? What if? Notice David never did take account of that. Why? Because he'd built a history with God. He understood what God would do. 
He understood that they weren't defying David. Goliath was not defying David. God was, I mean, Goliath was defying the God of David. When the enemy defies you, he's not only defying you, he is defi- he's defying God himself. Come on, you got to get a hold of it. You want to retrain your mind. You've got to understand. You've got to grab hold of what God is telling us. You see, these, these obstacles, they can be circumstances, things that are happening in your life, things that you have no control over. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't like it when I can't control it. Woo, that's a bad confession, but it's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. I used to think I was the only one, then I met you all. No. I, 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 think, I think most people are like that. They want to control what's going on around them. They like to control it. Uh, and we do it different ways. Some of us are very aggressive and some of us are very passive. And some of us are very passive aggressive. That would be me. <laughs> and so we like to control what's going on. But there are circumstances in our lives we have no control over. There's nothing that we can do about them. And if we let those circumstances have their way, they will become a Goliath in our life. And they will torment us and take advantage of us. Jesus said it this way. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, he said that mountain would get up and get into the sea. Come on. Okay, so that's that mountain, that Goliath is the same as that mountain. It's that stuff. He said, if you would say, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, and begin to speak. And so as a trained warrior, we begin to speak. Notice David never did play into the game of Goliath. As a matter of fact, when, when Goliath wanted to smack talk, David smack talked even worse. He said, you think you're going to intimidate me? Buddy, let me tell you something. I'm going to cut off your head. I ain't got a sword. But I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to feed you to the birds. Now that's some smack talk. And this is a guy that's nine feet tall. And got a sword that, that, that no telling how much it weighed. Anyway, <laughs> obstacles. But the other part of Goliath is personal. The other part of the Goliath in our life could be lust. Lustful desires. Pride. You know, that, those things begin to grab hold of us. And the, the three, lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, that is a terrible war that wages within us. And right now we're so inundated with, with lustful things man, and desires. Soon I've been watching home improvement shows, uh, you know, all of these things, the... the Flip it, flipping houses and fixer-upper and home-free and all this other stuff. And, man, you just watch them do all this stuff in the house. And uh, first off, they're talented. If you, got, if, you don't, if you don't have any talent like me, don't try to do any of that stuff. Amen? But the, first, the next thing you know, man, you just, you're wanting. And the desire for stuff just begins to creep up. In you and on you. 
and you want to change this and you want to change that and you want to fix this stuff up and and man the more you watch it the more you want it and and you know and you start you start thinking about man I can do this and I can do that and on 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 and goes and, and it, you know and there's nothing wrong with coming in and and, and changing I, I'm not speaking against that but sometimes we get to where we have to do it on credit and sometimes we have to go beyond what our financial means are and we start spending money that we don't have in order to obtain things that we don't need the next thing that happens to us is we're so inundated with sex and immorality you can't turn on a television show hardly anymore that's why we're watching all of these shows you know that uh, sex and immorality is so so great around us and the the images that are put before us are, are so provocative and, and you know you can get to you can get to pornography now uh, you carry if you carry a phone you carry pornography around in your pocket with you all the time it's there and it's available I'm not saying you use it but it's there and it's available and, and so the, the sensual places of us that becomes a very very uh, difficult battle it's a war that rages within us and, and you know and God created women beautiful I want you to know and so, so we, 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 we have a tendency to want to look. And I don't know that, it's, that there's anything wrong with looking, but glaring and staring is a whole lot different. Amen. <laughs> Lust is all over us. And then pride. You know how you can tell whether you've got pride or not? If you get upset when somebody tells you something to do and you don't like it. And, and it's all, everything inside of you. You don't just look at them and say, nah, I don't think I want to do that. No, we start getting upset. We start burning inside. Why? Listen, pride can take over in the littlest things. I am a dishwashing fool now. If you put it in your mouth, I'm going to put it in the dishwasher. And don't you lay it down. Now, when I did that, it was okay. But now, now that I'm having to take care of the house for Sue right this minute, it just don't stay around the house very much. It goes in there. Now, this is, this is the truth of the matter. Is I get that stuff loaded in there, and I hate it. Sue comes in there, you got that plate in the wrong place. You can either load the dishwasher or shut up. I ain't doing that. Pride. Pride. You know, here I am. And the pride is not necessarily the way I loaded the dishwasher, but the fact that I've taken the responsibility to make sure that all the dishes are clean and I'm taking care of you and how dare you tell me how to do something. You know? Go make up the bed. Well, you know you don't have that left side tufted in quite long enough. And would you get up and do it? You know, read over this and see if you need to make any changes. And it looks like somebody bleeds all over it. Can I, can I tell you those are just places. There are other things that we get prideful about too. But that pride just begins to take over. And when pride begins to take over, it becomes a Goliath in our life. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't take pride in what you do, meaning excellence. There ought to be excellence in everything we do. And so that kind of pride is one. But that defensive pride, that's something else. When somebody tries to bring correction in our life and we can't handle a correction, then we've got a problem. And it, become, it can become a Goliath in our life. And when it becomes a Goliath in our life, we have to do one of two things. We either have to tackle it or we have to settle for living less than God wanted us to. And so we see that there are circumstances that can attack us. Attack us. There is lust that can attack us. There is desire for the things of the world that can attack us. And, and then there's pride that can attack us. And we could probably go on, but I, I think that creates enough. And so we become warriors. 
The other thing that, that, let me just share one more with you, with pride, you go to a brother and you try to help them out and they get mad at you. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah, and you, get, and you walk away. I'll never do that again. Why? It offended my pride. And so we have to deal with pride in our life. And so I just want us to understand who Goliath really is. Goliath is opposed to us and he is opposed to the church and he is, he is culturally standing against everything that we believe in. And so we see him on a daily basis right now in our own nation. And we have to recognize him for who he is. And right this minute he is in the taunting stage of coming against the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is taunting in America. He is killing in many other places in the world. I just read the other day about Iran. And the church now exceeds well over 800,000. 800,000. The mosques are empty. The church, the underground church is alive and well. And realize this. You get beheaded for even mentioning the name of Jesus. You try to convert somebody and you die. That, that's what's going on. And so Goliath, the, the spirit of Goliath is challenging the church around the world. But be a good cheer. God's got plenty of Davids. He's got plenty that not back down to what the enemy would have us do. He's got plenty that are standing up and saying, uh-uh. How dare you defy the God of the church, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How dare you defy my God? But you've got to believe in your God. And you've got to believe he's more powerful than anything that's on the earth. Amen. So I, I go through Goliath and I understand him. And so then I, I begin to look at Samson. Samson was a man chosen by God. He was chosen by God even before his birth. He was set apart as to be a judge of Israel. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Judges, when you go back, this was a time period where God wanted to be, he wanted a theocracy. He wanted, he wanted to be in charge. And so he would raise up leaders to help carry out his will. But the people ultimately responded to him and to his way. It, it was a glorious time uh, in, the, in the time of Israel. But they finally got tired of it. And after Samson, they began to cry out, we want to be like everybody else. It wasn't that they wanted a king. It said, we wanted to be like everybody else, and they wanted a king. And so God said, all right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what you want, but you're not going to like it when you get it because he's going to conscript your children, and he's going to tax you. And he said, right now, you don't live under any of that. Samson was one of those judges. As a matter of fact, he was the last judge and probably one of the most famous judges, him and Deborah. And, and Samson was a defender of Israel. All the judges were defenders of Israel. Uh, they may not have been David, but they had to stand up against the Philistines. It was a time, uh, a time period where the Philistines, they went after the Ark of the Covenant. They went after everything that Israel had. They kept going after those things because they wanted to destroy Israel. They wanted to occupy their land, and they just couldn't stand them. And they, they said that their God was greater than, than the God of Israel. They worshiped Dagon. And so here they are, they're judges, and, and this man, Samson, 
he, he, he stands up and he is so strong. And the exploits of Samson are tremendous. I mean, one of my favorite ones, well, two of my favorite ones is he catches 300 foxes. Can you imagine catching 300 foxes? And he sets their tails on fire. Today he would spend his rest of his life in prison for animal cruelty. I understand that. And I'm not, and I'm not saying go set some cat's tail on fire, but I'm just saying. And then he turned the foxes loose in the field of the Philistines. And you can imagine a fox with its tail on fire. It's off and running. And it burns up everything. And I'm going, wow. I'm just amazed he could catch 300 foxes, just to be honest with you. That's, that was the other thing. And then they think they've got him. They got Sam, they after him because he's the, he is their champion. Samson is the champion of Israel. He's the judge of Israel. And they think they've got him. And, and here they go. And they, they got him surrounded by several thousand uh, warriors. He grabs the jawbone of an ass. And he kills a thousand people with weapons. And the exploits of Samson just go on and on and on. But Samson had one weakness. He liked women. And he didn't like Israelite women. He liked those that were on the dirty side. I mean the, the Philistine side. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Those were the forbidden women. Why were they forbidden? God said don't touch them. Don't get married to them. And boy that just made them even that much more attractive to Samson. He couldn't stand it. And if he couldn't get one the right way he'd just go get a prostitute. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a chosen man of God. Woo. This is a man that was given a Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow uh, meant that he couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't drink wine. He couldn't, he couldn't touch dead bodies. He had to stay clean. Now, a Nazarite vow was not unusual. The Jews would from time to time take Nazarite vows, and it would last for a period of time. But Samson had been pointed out to be a Nazarite his entire life. And so Samson, because of his physical strength, I believe, thought he could toy with the things of the enemy and get away with it until he got a hold of Delilah. And then she seduced him and if you go back and read it, each step he gets closer and closer and closer to divulging the source of his strength, which was his anointing. That's what his hair represented. And Delilah finally sells him out. They cut off his hair. They capture him. They make him work like an oxen. And they put his eyes out. One of the first things that happens when you lose the anointing is you lose vision. You can no longer see what God is doing. And so Samson was at that point where he had lost his anointing. And he was no longer able to do what he was called to do. It was his lust for women. Judges 16.20 and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times. Boy, isn't that the truth? The anointing had passed, and he was going to do it just like he was doing it before. 
He said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at a mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Judges 16.23 goes on. Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained him. They made him stand between the pillars. Now here Samson is, a mighty man, a judge of Israel, a man chosen by God. And because of his failure, here he is stuck before his enemy, and he is mocked. He is a circus attraction. There's been a many of man, fine man or woman of God that has fallen. Unfortunately, the church has made them a circus attraction, not just their enemies. Notice God didn't make him a circus attraction. God did not make him a circus attraction. But they wanted to be entertained by this mighty man, Samson. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillows on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Again, he wanted to avenge the loss of the vision that he had under the anointing. Notice that while he was in prison, though, that anointing began to grow back. He had, God had not completely removed himself from Samson, and he allowed the anointing to come back. And when I first looked at this, I said, Lord, that's a second anointing that came upon him. It, it was the same anointing, but it was a freshness, and he did what he was supposed to do. He didn't try to commit suicide. Some people say this was suicide. Mm -mm, not suicide. It was a suicide mission. He understood that. But he was going to pull down the structure, the very thing that had been dedicated to the god Dagon, who was supposedly the father of Baal, and here they were, they were in the midst celebrating and rejoicing and mocking and laughing and carrying on. And the anointing came on Samson, and with all his strength, he pulled down this place, and thousands were killed. Thousands. Since Dagon was a myth, not really a god, 
what had to be pulled down was the structure that had been created for worship and entertainment. The structure that had been built in honor of Dagon, the structure of where worship had come forth for, 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 this, for this myth. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we feel like we forfeited the anointing. Sometimes we just, we, we, we just want to go back fishing like Peter did. Sometimes we just don't know what to do next. But notice that it was in the time when, when he couldn't be distracted. All he had to do was think about God. Wasn't any more distraction of women. There wasn't any more distraction of, of lustful things. He was captured. He was, he was pulling a mill wheel around. He was being entertainment and sport for, for the, the worshipers, the Philistines, the worshipers of Dagon. And in all this thing, and all I can imagine is Samson just said, I had to refocus. He refocused. And in his refocus and in his new anointing, he was able to come in and pull down the structure. A structure is something that is first conceived, planned out, and then built. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, Eddie, what, how do those two join together? Schemes are plans that are thought out and are designed to be carried out. Structure is a design that is conceived that is meant to be built so that all can see. The schemes of the enemy are the same exact thing. It's that when, we, when you get ready to give up and give in and God says refocus, He says there's a time of a, of a second anointing. There's a time of a second wind. There's a time where you grab hold of the things that are going on in your life and say, uh-uh. No, the enemy, the schemes of the enemy are coming down. The worship of the enemy is coming down. You see, when we give in to our fear, when we give in to our failure, when we give in to our shame, when we give in to self-doubt, when we give in to the things that the enemy has placed upon us, we are offering our worship to another deity. Because that's not who God said we were. This is a man chosen by God, and God didn't change his mind. Even though he was, he was a scoundrel, he could act like a sleazebag. And God said, it doesn't matter. I'm honoring the covenant I had with his mother. I'm honoring the fact that I chose him. He is my man and he will destroy the destruction of Dagon and he will oppose the enemy of Israel. Hmm. I, I love my God. Because had he been in the church, every one of us would have kicked that sucker out. Not only would we have kicked him out, we'd have never given him a second chance. It's interesting when you go back and you study about the rebuilding of the temple under Cyrus, and, and, and they said that they took the charred stones and the burnt stones, and they used all that stuff to build the walls. And they got mocked by the enemy. Why? Because everybody knew that that limestone, once it had been burnt, it wasn't worth anything. But God allowed them to use it to build the wall. You know, I don't, I don't know what you face. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how many times you've failed. I don't, I don't know how many times that you, you've tripped up. It doesn't really make any difference. God said, I chose you. 
Just like he chose Samson, he chose you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you chosen. You are chosen. That means God's got you. If you screw up, you're his screw up. Come on, you belong to him. He loves you. And then the very minute that we come to that point where we can get our eyes off all of the circumstances and get our eyes focused back on him, which is where I began, we get our eyes focused on the real, we begin to train what's going on up here, and we begin to understand who God is, there's something unique that happens, is the anointing comes back stronger and stronger and stronger, and we get a second win. Come on, give God praise. We get tired, and God said, don't get tired, get focused. We get ashamed, God said, don't be ashamed, get focused. We get fearful, God said, don't be fearful, get focused. God's word to us today is, I haven't given up on you. Why would you give up on me? You see, he's the God of a second chance. He's the God of the second wind. He's the God of the second anointing. He, he does not quit. He does not give up. God said, on the first anointing there was power and strength, but under the second anointing there was authority. We got all giddy about power and strength, and we forgot about the authority. But the authority has to come under submission. We've tried to act in authority through power and strength outside the submission to God himself. And so when we come to the place of the second wind, the second anointing, it's in, a, it's in a submitted state. We realize that we are not as strong or as good as we thought we were in our own strength, but under him we are undefeated. Under him we can't be beat. Under him we win every time. Under him the enemy has to bow. Under him sickness, disease, all warm things has to go away. It cannot stand. Blindness can't stand as we are submitted to him and we have to refocus on our God. I just want you to understand that this man was a warrior. He was a warrior, but he lost his way. He was seduced by the things of the world. Let me tell you how, let me tell you how good God is. There's a little book called Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, there's this little chapter we call the the, the Hall of Fame, the Heroes Hall of Fame, God's Heroes. Guess who's in the book? Samson's in the book, and he's included with a group. And, and let, let's see, let's see what he says. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Who through faith, now listen to this, Samson's included in this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Woo! Come on, give God praise. Nowhere in that scripture did he say, now Samson, well, he abandoned me for a while and he chased women for a while, you know. He said he is a man of great faith. We, we stumble and fall, and we think that when we stumble and fall, we've messed it up for good. Come on, get a second win. Let me read this to you right quick. This is runners. I, I don't know anything about running, but I, I read it in books.
When I was in college, we, we had to do some running. There's a guy named Jim Kick, or Jim Flick, I'm not sure. Anyway, he, he, he wrote a book on running, and he talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And I said, man, it's crazy. He ran every day, every day. Two years after he wrote the book, he was running, he dropped dead of a heart attack. I said, see, I knew there wasn't any good in all that running business. Anyway, that's not true if you like to run, run. The phenomenon of a second wind has come to be used as a metaphor for new energy, new strength at the point of exhaustion. So today, if you find yourself at the point of exhaustion, if you find yourself where, man, things have just been overwhelming, and God said, hey, it's time for a second wind. Now, this is what I believe. I believe the church in America is fixing to experience the second wind. There was a wind that took place, or the sound of a wind that took place in the upper room. That's not the only wind that has blown across the church over the years. Many, many winds have blown. As a matter of fact, it wasn't but three chapters later that the, the apostles were talking about the fact that they had been out and boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus, and it said they were filled with the Spirit one more time. A second wind on top of the freshest wind that had ever blown. He said, you need more, you need more, you need more. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.